Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod. The podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Hey everyone, Mike Cation here. Welcome to the Behind the Racket podcast. Noah and our guest will hop on shortly. Our guest this week is Ellen Perez. You can check out her full story on BehindTheRacket.com. 25 years old, comes into this week, 240 in the world on singles, 46 in the world in doubles, went to the University of Georgia here in the States from 2014 to 2017 to WTA doubles titles to her credit, including a little while ago in Guadalajara with Astra Sharma. She's out of Australia. She has to spend a lot of time away from home. This week, she's going to be playing in French Open Qualies. So she's going to be joining us from Paris. You'll notice during the interview a couple of times where the audio didn't quite catch up. It always seems to happen with our guests who are over in Europe where that Wi-Fi is not always the strongest, but it's just a a joy to talk to her. Hopefully you enjoy this interview as well. Let us know what you think, and then I'll be heading down to Little Rock next week, and we'll have a new guest next week. So here is the chat Noah and I did with Ellen Perez. Ellen, you you were the feature on Behind the Racket this week, so thank you for joining us, and and we can go into a little bit more detail. Um, You are in Paris preparing for French qualies. Um, you seem like you're in a great mood and a great place. Uh, how are you just approaching this week? Yeah, exactly. Anytime I get an opportunity to play some singles these days, I really, um, I kind of uh, enjoy the moment. I've been uh, chasing a little bit of the doubles tour. I've been really wanting to try and get into the Olympics and make our Fed Cup team. So I've pursued a little more doubles, but obviously singles is my goal and what I want to do well in. So when I get in some singles weeks, I do look forward to the opportunity. Um, it's obviously tough to kind of go, you know, a few weeks without playing singles and kind of pick up from where I left off. So it is nice to be in my French Open here and I'm just trying to get back into that singles groove and, yeah, just looking forward to being able to compete again in that first match. So, you know, obviously 
I did the behind the racket story with you. So I, I know a little bit more about you as a person, but in terms of, of pressure situations, I mean, I feel like the Olympics holds so much weight. I mean, it's unique for tennis, but I feel like it holds a lot of weight. So for you, even though singles is being a priority, what kind of pressures are you feeling on the doubles court? Yeah, I mean, just because of it being an Olympic year, it is, there is a lot of pressure. It's, there's not much time to do well. And I know um, I probably got to get my ranking up even a little bit more than it is now. So I know every opportunity I get to step out on the court, it, it matters at this point in time. Um, usually I, I'm not too nervous when it comes to doubles. Um, I just like to go out there and have fun, um, have good banter with my partner. I don't really take it you know, that's seriously. Um, but now just because it is crunch time, yeah, obviously every result matters. And I I am feeling a little bit more pressure to get mm. to those, you know, quarters and semis of big events. Yeah. How do you find that balance um, right now when you are dealing with the pressure within within a match, let's say? Um, I, I know I've seen you a, a couple times playing with Storm uh, and Astra, and you seem to have such a fantastic relationship that you're able to keep it nice and relaxed most of the time. But when you do have that ability to step up now and, and with so much at stake, how are you keeping the balance within a match? Um. <sighs> I think it comes down to who I partner with. Like, I, I think obviously those big situations, um, if you've got someone beside you who you're comfortable with, who you know, you know, can um, balance you out, who, you know, there's obviously in doubles, it's important for me to have someone that is, has strengths in the areas that have weaknesses. When I've partnered with someone like Storm, you know, solid returner, really good in big moments. And I obviously feel like I'm a better at the net and stuff like that, it's good to have that balance. So in the big moments, I feel like I know I've got, you know, that partnership, right. I know that the person I'm playing with is not going to get too upset with me if it doesn't go well. And, you know, having that trust in that friend. So I think um, that's, you know, the key for me is just playing with someone I feel familiar with. I feel like we balance each other out and and then I'm not um, as stressed in the situations. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if we can ever, overdo this conversation of COVID. I mean, it's a situation that we're all still dealing with, you know, to this day, especially certain places under lockdown, like Australia. And, you know, with that, I think comes an extra pressure. So, you know, what are you feeling? I mean, during behind the racket, you know, we learned a lot about you as a person and how you kind of take on the struggles of tennis and what it means to you. But, you know, what is that kind of pressure like getting back into tennis, having more of a kind of consistent schedule? What is that feeling like? For me, it's nice. Uh, obviously, I appreciate the um, the ability to be able to compete again and be able to do my job. So I guess it's a little bit more of that appreciation. I think a lot of players probably now have put things into perspective. Um, for me, I've kind of, I feel like I've always had that perspective, but it is nice to be playing. Um, and, you know, you're playing for something again. It was tough during COVID to just be training and you know what you're training for and things like that. So... Uh, yeah, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed traveling, going from place to place. Uh, it's definitely tougher now, just with different restrictions and knowing you've got to be so much more aware of if you go to a certain country, can you go to the next country um, and what all paperwork and things like that. So only when you get to a place and you settle in and you've done your test and you come back with a negative, it's that feeling of like, oh, I'm here now, <laughs> let's make the most of it, you know. Um, so I think there is, yeah, a lot more um, you know, that appreciation going around the tour now. And you mentioned appreciation. Um, I, I, for people who haven't read your Behind the Racket yet, I, I didn't know about all the surgeries you went through um, much younger in your life. When you are told when you're, you're 10 that you have a stress fracture in your back, that sounds 
overwhelming to me. I can't imagine. I have a six and a half year old and I, I keep thinking, oh my God, what would I do if I had to tell my daughter that, right? And I just, I didn't realize how difficult it had been for you early in your life. You go to college and have that opportunity there. And, and it seems like from there, you, you still went through some difficult times early on tour. But how does this feeling of joy and happiness to be out there, how does that really develop given all that you've been through in your life? Yeah, I think it's a lot of it stems from my upbringing and what I've been through. Um, obviously, yeah, growing up, I had a lot of injuries. Yeah, and, you know, most of those kept me up for like six months, four months, another six months, five months. You know, they weren't just short stints. They all kind of um, impacted me on for a long amount of time. And I think it never gave me the opportunity to really play much as a junior um, as it was tour to begin with I only started that when I was like 17 and when I did finally get you know play one year and get the chance to play the slams I I did the uh had the Achilles injury and I couldn't play so I never felt like I had the opportunity to see the rest of the world and compete but um you know that's why I took that college pathway I didn't feel like I was ready um but yeah it's just given me that time to develop my game see you know what the tennis world was like outside of it and you know get that appreciation for the level because you know they all everyone always says college tennis is you know kind of a step down from the pros but there is so many girls at college who are just transitioning into pros and doing so well now so the you know there there is um that pathway you can take and it's made that a lot easier for me to make that transition and obviously have the idea of having a backup degree um there's a lot, you know, these girls obviously weigh a lot on their career and, you know, this is the be all or end all. And, um, you know, a lot of these players don't really know what else is out there outside of tennis. They, they you know, there's people in their teams doing everything for them from carrying their bags to booking everything. And there's no independence. And I feel like it's important to, you know, be very independent. I think college taught me that and, you know, traveling alone and all that. So I, I feel less pressure to do, um, to succeed in tennis and just go out, that's, you know, I think a really interesting topic. Um, you have one of the most positive attitudes I think mm -hmm. Mike and I have ever come across. <laughs> but with that being said, it's, yeah, I guess that's not much talking about us. Yeah. But, but that being <laughs> said, um, it's, uh, you know, some things creep in no matter what. I think that's just natural. Um, and for you, you know, being 25 years old, almost 26, what does success in tennis mean to you right now? Is it the travel? Is it the enjoyment? Is there a ranking goal in mind? What does that really mean in the next 5, 10, 15 years for you? Yeah, it's a wide range of things. I think success is playing a full year being healthy. Um, I think success is, I obviously have ranking goals and things I want to do. So putting the Olympics, putting the Fed Cup on there, um, uh, finishing your top 15 doubles, things like that. Just that's obviously success. But I think it's always going, um, improving on something. It doesn't even have to be that for me, a ranking gets better. If I feel like personally I've achieved something that I was not as good at before, like maybe, you know, mentally I'm not tapping out in matches, um, things like that. If, if I see improvement, then I feel like it's a success. It's hard not to put a number on things and want, you know, to win things and do like do better in that aspect. But I understand like each day that, you know, you have certain goals and things that you got to, you know, tick off just to keep positive because, if you base success purely on results and you go through a rough patch, then, you know, what are you going to fall back on? <laughs> so that's that's where I wanted to lead to because the last sentence in your Behind the Racket article, it was, I, I don't like when people dwell on matches because there are bigger things in life. 
And that's how you wrapped up, Ellen. And I, I've just been kind of transfixed on that because I, I know you've listened to some of our podcasts with some of our other guests, and, and that's such a difficult thing for so many players, especially in this, um, you know, you and Noah are in similar ranking levels on the, the single side, and Noah's pretty bad at this himself, and I think he'll be the first to say it. How, how did you learn or how did you get to that point? Because I'm sure you went through it at some point. How did you get to that point where you weren't dwelling on losses specifically after after matches? I don't know. No, it's very interesting. I, I take losses in other sports and other areas worse than I do in tennis. Mm. And you would think because you know you're putting you're training so hard, you're putting so much on the line, you want so much success that it would be the opposite. But I don't know. I think it's come from, you know, there's only going to be one winner every week and there's going to be a lot of times you're, you can even have a, you can have a losing record and for the year and still go up in the rankings and stuff. You know, it's about, I, I just feel like I always just have that perspective. I just, I, I don't like people always being so negative and I see it so much. Maybe I've been around it where, you know, you're with a friend and, you know, and they're, they're just like, it's the worst day ever. They just make your day terrible because they're in such a bad mood about it. And I was like, I'm never going to be that person. I think it's maybe just, yeah, experience seeing it from others. And I'm like, I don't like that. Like, I'm not going to put my loss and my problems on someone else. So I just get over it pretty quickly. Like, I can be disappointed. And obviously, you know, maybe some losses are slightly worse than others where I'll be really ticked off and but I'm not going to make someone else's day worse. That's the thing. And that's like the kind of just how I've always been. I don't know how it's come about, but yeah. And I think this is something I need to ask somebody more positive but because between Mike and I, you know, it's, it's cynic battling a cynic. <laughs> and, you know, we look at tennis and we obviously see it's not perfect. You know, you've taken it on of saying, hey, this is what it is. I'm going to enjoy it. There are so many great positives that come with tennis with the travel and competing and, you know, just making at least some money doing what I love. But for you, what is kind of that issue, for lack of a better term, that problem that you see in our sport today that you can highlight and say, hey, I would love to see this being at a different level. I would love to see this change and I would love the sport just a little bit more. Is there anything that you can think of um, that have kind of crossed your mind before? I mean, I feel like we're on, it's tough. There's a, there's probably a lot of things. I think the opportunity to play on the women's side is far and few between. I, I see there's a lot more challenges on the men's side and the ITF level, you know, it's so strong these days, especially since COVID. And you've got these 15,000s and 25,000s taking place with girls, you know, 200 in the world playing. The Especially now, the gap between the top 100 and the girls outside the top 100, the points are, you know, enormous. To be able to crack into the top 100 because of the frozen ranking system we have, it's made things really hard to make a living. And especially for these ITF girls, I mean, I feel for them because – it's, I feel like I'm on that cusp where I've just been lucky enough that my singles ranking is borderline good enough to make it into qualifying of 250s, but I'm able to go to those tournaments knowing I'm in the doubles. But a lot of these girls, if you're 250 and beyond, it is so hard right now to get a run at tournaments or you're playing tournaments at 25,000 for such minimal points against girls that are so good. Um, so I think the opportunity to play is lacking right now. Um, I... Oh, I don't know what else, um, where to even go with that. Um, obviously, prize money can be a bit of a thing. I, I mean, that's a huge topic. I don't know whether I think women should receive equal prize money, but, you know, there's just a lack of funding in the women's side in certain events. Um, and then, 
yeah, I mean, I feel like all of them, but yeah. I think one thing that seems to be pretty unique um, to you Australians, Ellen, is is the fact that you guys have to travel for such extended periods of time. Um, I, I know you've got, I, I believe your your boyfriend's name is Jeremy, if, if, if I saw that correctly. I know Storm, for example, I believe she's engaged now. I mean, you guys are away for so long you have to be in order to take advantage of those opportunities through the the summer in the northern hemisphere um, where tennis travel takes you how do, how do you build um, a schedule um, along with a personal life <laughs> that I'm sure you know seems to be going very well for you how do you, how do you balance those two things when you have to be away for six months yeah it's extremely tough this is a terrible year to have to try and figure out what to do because Normally, as an Australian, you know, we can go away for a couple of months of the year and uh, usually after Wimbledon, I'd go home. But because of the restrictions in Australia, obviously, I'm not wanting to do another two-week quarantine. Um, on top of that, you know, it's, it's a $3,000 to $10,000 flight. Right. It's a $3,000 quarantine. Two weeks in a hotel. Once you get out, it, people don't realize, but it takes at least two weeks to feel back to somewhat normal. And that's not even, you know, getting better. That's just going back to being at a base. So... To lose four weeks and that much money, it's not worth going home. And uh, this is, yeah, this is the first time that I've had to be away and try and experience um, needing, having to get back to someone. I, I Last year, um, obviously during COVID, I had a lot of time in Australia with my boyfriend. But this time around, it's hard. For, he can't come overseas because, because of the restrictions. He's not even allowed to leave Australia. So, yeah, it, uh, time will tell, but uh, hopefully we can go strong. And um, I, I'm not sure, even sure when I'll go back because the schedule is so, you know, sketchy at the end of the year, to be honest, with the Asia um, tour. So right now my plans are US Open and, and see what happens. But, you know, slowly they're developing more tournaments at the back end of the year, but it really doesn't help any of the Australians with putting it back in Europe again or um, the Asia tour kind of being um, 50-50 to go ahead. So I, I don't really know, but... It's looking like U.S. Open's on my schedule, and then I'm ready to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of quarantine, Ellen, um, you, you two share something very much in common in that both of you um, pissed off the Novak fans immensely uh, at times over the last uh, year or so. Uh, That's and we're what you're talking about. <laughs> we're, we're both on the receiving end of, of uh, some, some really bad hate uh, tweets, DMs. Uh, where are you on, on that whole spectrum? Do you still receive any type of negative messages, Ellen, or, or is that kind of past for you? Because I know every once in a while, Noel sees something. I feel like I've passed it. I feel like I'm in the clear. Um, I'm definitely more careful with what I say. Um, sometimes I, I find myself putting my foot back in it and I didn't even mean to. I, I know I took a video of like, where's all my paparazzi waving at me outside of my quarantine window. And I didn't even know that people, paparazzi were, you know, waving at Novak and all that. Like I was, they thought I was taking a dig at him and I was like, oh no, look where I've started. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous world there. It's, you're really like playing with fire with them. So um, I, I'm honestly joking. I don't have really too many issues with them. I, I mean, everyone makes mistakes and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm able to take it. Like if someone was to say something about me like that, I'd probably laugh. I'd 
The problem yeah, is people actually like you and they already <laughs> hated me and now they have a reason to hate me more. So that like kind of where it went. They're like, oh, Ellen, like how can we hate her? But it's like, oh, no. As as Mike creates his own I hate Noah Rubin t-shirts that are coming in a few weeks. Let me know if you need one, oh. Ellen. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think I need one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, kind of going into a little bit back you saying that tennis isn't everything. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, walk around my academies back home and I see people putting all their effort into tennis. And I think it's knowledgeable. I mean, or just, you know, a base of knowledge for these kids to understand that there's something else out there for them. And for you, what does a life without tennis look like? Whether that's in 40, you know, in 15 years when you're 40 years old and you've had an amazing career, but what is, what does that look like for you? What are your interests and, and what is that like? Yeah, I was actually just speaking about this with my coach. Um, it, it really depends on when tennis finishes for me and how old I am. Um, if I was to, you know, go out with some injuries or, you know, in the next couple of years before I'm 30, then I, I like the idea of coaching. I actually think I prefer coaching more than playing. Mm. Um, I think I see the game well, um, a lot better when I'm off the court watching it rather than when I'm on the court trying to do it for myself and, trying to change game plans against the player but um i think yeah maybe the pressure and stress of tennis and that you know gets to me more i prefer to be able to help someone else out um so i would love to go into coaching but i don't know if i would love to go into coaching if i'm older and you know wanting to settle down have a family or something like that so i mean i've got my sports management degree and i don't know exactly where i'd look into that area but I feel like from traveling and, you know, I always like to do everything on my own. I feel like I've, you know, got that ability, maybe be a sports agent um, uh, or I've loved, you know, maybe the idea of commentating. Um, And then I've also been through it with Tennis (laughs) Australia and, you know, coming up through Tennis Australia with that managerial side. There's a lot of areas where I was growing up that I thought, you know, there's people in the offices making decisions with no tennis background and that, and that, that really frustrated me, you know, when they put forward these criterias and, and, um, you know, ideas of what they're going to do before the Australian Open. That's like, do these people like know, like put two and two together? Like that's not like the smartest play. And I feel like having that tennis background would help in that. So I don't know if there's something that in the, um, in that, it would definitely still maintain sports. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge part of my life. <laughs> well, as as we start to wrap up here, Ellen, um, I I think Noah knows that I'm I'm just I think you're just like an incredible person, and I've we we sat on the same bleacher when we were both watching uh, Max and and Sav at the U.S. Open, but I didn't know you at all, and I don't I don't think I even knew it was you. Um, but but I would love at some point to be able to to chat and actually hang out because you seem just like an, a fantastic person to talk to. But I'm going to ask this question because you've spent a lot of time with this person over the last uh, couple of weeks. David Chen, um, I'm fascinated by this human being because he seems to get to travel to all of these incredible tennis uh, tournaments, meet all these incredible tennis people, and I know nothing about him except that he's always smiling and with these great people, and I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about David Chen, who he is, and and why he gets to hang out with everybody uh, across the world. David Chen, okay. Um, so he's obviously made a good friendship with Sasha Vickery, and I think that went back to not the most recent Australian Open, but the one before, and 
I think he wanted a photo with her and actually thought that she was Sloane Stevens, I think, at the time. <laughs> and just from that, they kind of worked out that they were both living in the Boca Fort Lauderdale area. And, um, you know, they a quiz night or a dinner at one another's house and they, they just kind of formed a friendship from there. And, and Sasha obviously brought him to the US Open um, last year. And I met him there briefly, but only, you know, just like, oh, hi, you know, who he was. And and from there, he, he has a way of just becoming friends with all these players. It's obviously a very bubbly personality and he, he isn't shy to say hello and, you know, take photos and videos with people. And, and just like, it's not common on the tour. You don't really see that. So, you know, it's welcomed by all the players and everyone, you know, kind of gets to know who he is. And it was in Guadalajara that... Um, he came with Vanya King and don't know how he, you know, Vanya, <laughs> but there he was. And he kind of offered if I was ever in the Boca area to, to stay with him. And, and it just happened to be after Miami before Charleston, the coach I was working with was in Boca. So I was like, you know, he kept insisting for me to come and hang out. And I was like, why not? Like, that's just who I am. I, I love spontaneous, crazy ideas, just like making do, you know, that's, it's kind of, how I've been brought up. So I went and stayed at his place and trained and it came about that he really wanted to get into Europe and he wanted to visit some friends and he's a flight attendant. So he mm. travels everywhere for free and um, tennis is what he loves. He plays in obviously the, um, the gay lesbian tennis league and travels the world, I think to 12 different countries and he's it's been all over. So that's kind of his thing. And he's like, I would love to get over to Europe. And I was I was his ticket in to the country. So I was like, you know what? If you want to come to Madrid or Rome, like you can. Like I've got a free accreditation. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to be your support person, be there and, you know, just, I guess, radiate positivity and all that. So brought him along and, you know, he's he's kind of made friends with everyone along the way. And, and everyone's pretty much asked me that question, who is this David <laughs> Chen? <laughs> but, yeah, slowly everyone's learning who he is and, I mean, obviously, I think he's going to go back into working. For, he works for Delta, so I think he's got to go back to work sometime soon. And, yeah, that's that's probably all I know and can give you on who he is. Well, I, I think it, it really kind of shows just, you know, both of you just have those really dynamic, um, energetic, positive personalities. And I think it really showed that both of you were just radiating during that time together. So I, I think it seemed like a perfect fit. And uh, I, I just... I have Mike. Yeah, and you, Noah has me, and it's like we, we come together so well because we both hate each other and, and hate wow. ourselves, so it works out really well. Um, but I uh, but I hope if if we're both at the Open, I know I'm going to be there. I'm counting on you to be there. Let's let's have a coffee. Deal? For sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, Ellen, have a good, chat. good luck this week um, in qualifying and obviously in, in dubs as well. Next week at the French Open, we'll definitely be uh, watching and – Really appreciate your time today on the Behind the Racket podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again sometime. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at Noah Rubin 33 at Mike C Tennis, 
and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.